Welcome to the Digital Forester podcast, where we talk to foresters about how they are using digital technologies in their day-to-day forestry work. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Digital Forester podcast. Today, I'm joined by Taylor Griffith, founder of Tract, spelled T-R-A-C-T for those. And I believe, Taylor, there's a saying, get tracked. So I'm dying to, to learn more about the, the company. But first off, how are you doing and, and where are we reaching you I'm good. Uh, it is bright and sunny and not too hot. I'm in Athens, Georgia. Nice. Um, you know, so uh, typical humid and hot climate down here, but it's actually pretty cool today. So yeah, I, nice. I've discovered hot and humid is relative since I, I was down in your neck of the woods about a month ago and folks are saying, oh, it's not bad. And, and the rest of us are just kind of just standing there sweating we're like this is really really hot they're like no that's not hot and yeah, uh, i have a I have buddy a buddy from michigan um and so anytime we go play golf or anytime we're doing something outside he's always talking about how hot it is and the rest of us are like i mean dude this is typical this weather typical nice weather this is this is the nice weather yeah. for sure so hey i know i looked at the link your linkedin profile so Bellhaven university political science undergrad varsity football um you know you got an mba from university of west georgia i believe worked in marketing worked in it so my burning question was uh, is hey man how did you get into forestry tell me about that journey of you know was it in the family just like so give me that journey of how you got here yeah so growing up so my dad ran georgia farm bureau's timber division for like okay. 25 years. Um, and so Georgia Farm Bureau has about 350,000 farmer landowners within their network. And so my dad represented um, hundreds of landowners and managed and sold their timber for them. And so I kind of always had an arm length relationship with forestry and timber from that perspective. And once I got into high school, my neighbor that lived across the street from us, his name's Lynn Hooven, and he was the Georgia Forestry Commission's management guy for 20 years. And he would manage large timber properties for Atlanta Braves baseball players, doctors around the middle of Georgia area, lawyers, you know, just uh, wealthy landowners in general. And so I got a completely different perspective of kind of that intentional, intensive management from that perspective as well. And so it was always around me and I was always familiar with it. And I guess unbeknownst to me, I had way more knowledge about the industry and the people in it and all that perspective than (laughs) 99.99999% of the population. Yep. Um, And so it, it wasn't a natural progression. My dad told me at one point he actually, he'd always wanted us to work together. And after I graduated college and, you know, I was kind of moving forward with life, he kind of gave up on that dream or that (laughs) hope that one day we would, we would work together. And inevitably through software, um, you know, that's happened. And so we're, kind of providing a service in the industry. And he he's had a career change, um, which says a lot about him um, that, you know, so deep into his career, he's willing to to make a shift and a jump. But I think that just goes to the conviction to what we're doing and what we're trying to accomplish. 
for sure. I'm feeling like Sunday night dinner, there's a lot of dad looking at you kind of saying, I, I told you so, son, that we're, we're going to end up working together. Or maybe your neighbor looking in from the window, kind of just scheming like, ha, 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 we got Taylor into forestry after all. And your parents are always right for those listeners who we always try and fight or maybe go up current and, and here we are. But so maybe introduce us to track. So I don't, I don't know you as intimately well as maybe some other folks in the um, community. So I, I'm e- equally eager to learn about the story, how track came to be obviously some subject matter experts is what I'm hearing around you, which is awesome. Cause you got this great, you know, network and this great ecosystem, you know, learning from the masters, the Jedis of, of Georgia, Georgia, if you will, but maybe for our listeners and viewers, bring us up to speed in terms of who tracked is, I think it's uh, six years, eight years old in that time frame. but, but who are you guys and what do you do? Yeah. So we built our MVP in 2016. Um, and so we didn't officially start sales until about 2019. So the company, I guess our platform is about five and a half years old, uh, but we've really only been pushing it for about three years now. And a lot of that is just due to the fact that I think our supply chain is, especially in the Southeast and in Midwest um, and maybe just the US in general, there there aren't a lot of experts on it. Um, you know, kind of the supplier dealer, um, community is it's very competitive. Um, you know, there's not a lot of information that gets shared. Um, usually at big meetings, you know, there's like an antitrust statement that's read beforehand, you know, don't (laughs) talk about pricing, don't talk about which, which really kind of translates into don't talk about your business. Right. Um, and so I think that unbeknownst to me, um, there's been a, a huge lack of support for the supplier dealer logger in our industry, um, because mostly just a lack of funding, um, and just a lack of knowledge. You know, I think even even mills don't really understand their supply chain or the people in it or their responsibilities or how they spend uh, most of their day to day. And so when we first started this project, I was helping, starting to help my dad with some forestry consulting and, you know, kind of doing the support side of it, not doing actual forestry consulting. And I was looking at software solutions because he was using spreadsheets to manage his tickets. And I was like, this is crazy. (laughs) And everything that I was looking at was started in the late nineties or the early two thousands. And it looked like windows 3.0 and, you know, or windows 98 at best. And, you know, at this point, Facebook was, you know, a decade old and there just weren't web-based solutions out there that were user-friendly and easy to get into. So, so you had to basically tell your old man that the software he was using in his day-to-day profession was not that good. How, how did that conversation go? Cause I'm feeling like, son, this is how we've always done it. This has always worked. And what do you know, you young guy type of thing. So, 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 so tell me about that. I, I, I again, I'd love to sit on the, uh, the Griffith family Sunday dinner here to listen to, to some of the banter, but, but I can't imagine that that just went, or maybe it did go smoothly and, and your dad and colleagues were like, yeah, 
son, this is, this is, you're right. Yeah. To, to my dad's credit, he's super coachable. Um, he, <laughs> so he, he played football at the university of Georgia. He's still like top 10 all time tackles or things, nice. solo tackles at this point. Um, had a ton of success at UGA and he's never been, he's never been one to say, no, we can't do that or to really push back when I have an idea or I have um, a perspective that I'm sharing and pushing forward. Um, he's always super willing to listen, super willing to, you know, do whatever it takes to make that thing happen. Cool. And so, whereas the industry, I think, our industry loves to say, well, this is the way we've always done it. Uh, my dad's never been that way and he's never kind of taken on that philosophy. Um, you know, and so that's something I'm really not used to yeah. uh, with what we're doing. And, and it's probably one of the reasons that, you know, we're seeing as much success as we are in growth and adoption uh, because we don't have that culture. For sure. Very cool. So thinking of our international listeners and, and viewers who may not be familiar with forestry in the U.S. Southeast, can you walk us, maybe shed a little bit more light, like thinking of people in Europe and Australia, um, even Canada for that 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 matter. What, what does forestry look like? And, and I guess when you talk about the supply chain, I'm sensing old technology, you know, not a lot of insights into that supply chain. So how do you actually really drive decisions, digital load slips? But but to kick us off, maybe if you can set the stage on when you say like the 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 wood flow, you know, the dealer, the supplier. What what does that mean for someone overseas trying to associate with the the world of forestry they know? Yeah, I wish we had an infographic. Um, yeah, so the the forestry sector in the U.S. is super segmented and super unsophisticated. Um, that doesn't mean the people who are in the business are dumb. It just means that the way that KPIs are tracked or that loads of wood are tracked is pretty antiquated. Um, you know, you could go back 20 years and it'd probably be this, done the same way. And so, you know, typically you have a landowner uh, who owns the, the property and the timber on that property. Uh, you have a mill that processes that timber into a finished good, um, pulpwood, cellulose, saw timber um, and turns it into lumber, things like that. And then you have several companies in between um, that kind of get it done. So typically the mill will have a relationship with suppliers. And so those suppliers are the ones, the mills, you know, sometimes they do, most of the times they don't go out and buy their own wood. They have supply agreements with suppliers that go out and buy the wood and then deliver that wood to the mill. Those suppliers sometimes have their own company loggers. Sometimes they're contracting with loggers. Sometimes they have their own company trucks. Sometimes they're contracting with trucks. Most of the time it's some combination of the two. So most of our customers I would say are 50-50 company crews, contract crews, company drivers, contract drivers. A small minority are just totally suppliers where they don't have their own trucks, they don't have their own crews, everything is just contracted out and they kind of divvy out quota um, and those kind of things. And so typically, and we haven't really seen it in the last couple of years just with the demand 
being so high, but usually the mill will give quota to their suppliers and say, okay, you've got a hundred loads this week. You've got 50 loads this week. You've got, you know, X, Y, Z loads this week, um, to their, to their suppliers. And typically they don't want over a certain percentage of their wood being delivered by one supplier because then that supplier has leverage and prices go up and, um, they want to keep prices down. And, um, you know, so that, and they will give quota. And if you don't meet your quota, you lose it, you know? So it's, there's a lot of demand and a lot of precision and, you know, making sure that you get all your loads of wood delivered. And the way that people manage that historically has been pretty archaic. It's been printed, printed reports and, um, you know, going into the administrator's office and asking for her to print a report or getting a report emailed. And it's just a list of numbers on a sheet of paper um, and not necessarily visual data and not necessarily KPIs that you're tracking every day. Um, and so a lot of the, the burden on tracking that information has, there's been one person in the office that has access to that and sends that to whoever and um, creates a bottleneck. And, you know, so, so typically that's kind of the larger scheme of how people are paid for wood or who buys the wood and who they're selling it to. Um, and then kind of how they're generating that data on the back end. Cool. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. Often we find there's, there's one bottleneck that if you can just maybe remove a couple of the hats off that, that individual kind of unleashes, uh, the, the pipe, so to speak. So in terms of the software, I guess, tell us, uh, tell us more about, um, what it does and what the unique value proposition, uh, around it, you, around it, you mentioned MVP before. So, uh, for our listeners, viewers, minimal viable product, you know, quick yep. prototyping, bring it to market, test it out and refine awesome software approach versus investing a bajillion dollars and then realizing that you miss talking right. one schmo or, and, and that mess things up, but in terms of track, so, so sounds like you're trying to supply, solve uh, part of that supply chain. Maybe tell us more about that and what's uh, cool about the software and the platform. Yeah. So my background is in financial technologies. Um, so the last project that I worked on before moving into this industry was uh, Quicken's Rocket Mortgage. Um, so Rocket Mortgage is, you know, several different pieces of software that are kind of all tied together. And I was working on a, on a piece of that, spent about 18 months um, just kind of building out. I built a team that went in and redesigned kind of the consumer facing piece of consumers connecting their bank accounts and then redesigned and rebuilt backend um, interfaces for loan officers to make it easier to approve loans and get data. And, and really, I guess the focus was making it a lot more user-friendly and a lot more valuable and being able to, you know, convert consumers into their pipeline with more ease I guess more um, consistency and then making it easier for loan officers to get their data um, and approve it. And so I was kind of wrapping up that project and that's when I was looking at my dad's business and asking him why, you know, he was doing it the way that he was <laughs> doing it. And, you know, I live in Athens at the time, Plum Creek was the largest landowner in the country. And so I just called up Tom Reed, who is the VP of Plum Creek at the time to see if I could come and talk to him about their, their software solutions. Um, and 
it kind of created this relationship where I would go and sit with him and meet with him. I would go sit and meet with Dan Lamontane as well. He was in that business and a real innovative thinker, really smart guy. At, like to ask a lot of the same questions. Why are we doing it this way? Um, Tom would frequently call people into his office when I was meeting, you know, we would meet once a month or so and he would call people into his office and ask, Hey, why are we doing it this way? Me and Taylor were just having a conversation about, you know, maybe we could do it this way, but like, why are we doing it this other way? And sometimes they would have a good answer. Sometimes they wouldn't have a good answer. And so it kind of evolved into this process where, you know, I would go meet with Tom, me and Dan would go get lunch. We would talk about stuff and then I would go back and prototype a solution and come back and present it to them and they would get feedback and I would go prototype some more and bring it back until one day we had a deal on the table to launch with their Gulf Coast Cruise. And I think it was maybe like three weeks later that the Warehouser acquisition uh, press release came out. And so I saw the press release and I was like, huh, what does this mean? (laughs) Uh, And, you know, that's kind of when I got an inside look at what happens when there is an acquisition and, you know, nobody really knows if they're going to have a job tomorrow or not. Yeah. And everything that for me, everything that you've been working on just doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. And so we had to figure out who our first customer was going to be now because it was going to be Plum Creek. And we had, you know, kind of been working towards that goal and, it was going to be a big win for us, you know, validation, a great first customer, uh, give us a ton of credibility and it just went poof. And so, you know, we went to go, we, we thought, okay, maybe Timo's, you know, Plum Creek's a Timo. They see the value in what we're doing. Maybe it's a a Timo is going to be our first customer. And we went to talk to the Timo's and the Timo said, well, you know, our consultants, they handle, this and we're like <laughs> okay cool so then we went to meet with large consultants and uh consulting companies are like pretty price sensitive and so you could have the most innovative solution but if it's not the cheapest solution yes then they're not gonna go with you and we are not the cheapest solution yep uh for a lot of reasons and you know so we're like okay even though your fiduciary duty is to innovate and security and transparency. If that innovation comes at a price that's bigger than your margin, like, I mean, consultants can't afford it. Um, and so, which is interesting because the Timos probably could afford it, but you know, those decisions get passed along to the people who can't necessarily afford to make that decision for innovation or for transparency um, or, you know, really pushing the envelope and so really what I, what I realized we were looking for is the people that were experiencing the most pain, yeah. like who in the supply chain is experiencing the most pain and are most willing to partner with us to solve these problems, um, problem, lack of transparency, uh, redundant data entry. Oh my <laughs> God. The, the amount of ticket information that gets punched redundantly in the Southeast on the you know, however many hundred billion tons of timber get delivered down here is crazy. It's 2022. Like it should not be happening. And yet it is. 
And so we ended up getting connected with Pierce Timber, Hugh Thompson, Trey Thompson, uh, Lauren Tootin down there, and kind of pitched them what we were doing. And they saw the value in it. You know, they run about 40 crews down there, and their entire business was running from one person. You know, all their foresters had to go to one person to get their reports. Mm-hmm. Every load went to the system with one person. All the accounting data went to one person. And there was no democratization of data or responsibility because everything had to run through one person. And so I think what, what's interesting is that most companies in our space, the the day-to-day and kind of the the paperwork and the financials and all that kind of stuff um, is run by administrators. And so when we first launched the company, our catchphrase was, you know, track, uh, curing the settlement headache. Because I saw just how much time was being spent doing settlements each week. But the challenge with that is that most business owners aren't sensitive to that because they're not, they're not doing it. They're right. not doing that work. Yeah, somebody um, else doing that, so it's almost invisible to them. And or they know that this administrator runs their business and they don't want to change anything or antagonize her in any way by suggesting she do things differently um, because they don't want to rock the boat or that's you know a hard conversation to have. When the irony is that, you know, the growth of businesses aren't tied to administrative tasks. You know, oftentimes that is the bottleneck to growth. That is the bottleneck to efficiency. Yeah, and I think, histor- I think historically in our industry, innovation and efficiencies and investments into people's business has ha- have always been associated with hard assets. Okay, I'm gonna, I need to be more efficient. I'm gonna go buy a better skitter. I'm gonna go buy a better loader. I'm gonna go buy a better cutter. I'm going to invest in my skitter man. I'm going to train my loader man. I'm going to uh, buy additional trucks. Um, you know, growth and efficiency and that bottom line, I think, has always been managed from an asset perspective and never historically, okay, how much data are we collecting? How much data are we aggregating? And what are the key metrics that I'm looking at? not just on a weekly basis, but on a daily basis to ensure that I'm going to be successful and profitable today, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. Yeah, it's almost like they buy that gear and think they're going to be like more efficient by default and they don't even monitor the performance of those those machines, right? To understand if someone's sloughing it or whatnot. So I mean, there's, there's business owners out there that will buy a new machine for somebody in the, you know, maybe it's a, two-year-old machine and typically they don't replace it for three to five years but if that guy says hey i'm you know i'm gonna walk if you don't buy a new machine they'll buy a new machine yeah instead of hiring a new person and training them they look at going deeper into debt as the way forward rather than okay i need to constantly be training and hiring because the reality is that the the workforce in our industry is also pretty neglected. You know, there aren't really any ton- funnels or services that say, hey, we're, we'll train your your guy, we'll do this, we'll do that. Um, and John, I think John Deere has uh, some simulators that, you know, they've kind of tried to push for a long time and 
you know, the workforce wasn't really an issue, so nobody was interested. Yep. But I think that's changing now. I think people are getting more interested in that. And so just the way that people think about their business, just the way that people manage their business, the tools that they've had and that have been available to be able to, you know, identify, okay, are we profitable? Um, you know, where are we in the overall scheme of productivity on a daily basis? I think it just hasn't been available. So people typically don't even have that framework of viewing their business from that perspective. Right, right. So then with your software, thinking of the settlement side of things, um, you're basically removing that administrator or giving him or her better tools? Yeah, so what's interesting is that we, you know, kind of the first problem that we wanted to tackle was settlements. Um, you know, bringing, you know, kind of having this big picture of what a ticket is and tying a ton of information to that ticket, financial data, transactions that exist on that ticket, uh, moving that ticket through buckets. You know, I've got an entered ticket, I've got a delivered ticket, I've got a settled ticket, I've got a reconciled ticket, and kind of following that ticket through the life cycle, creating transparency. So seeing the route that that uh, ticket traveled, you know, from the woods to the mill, when, when it was loaded, what time it was unloaded, who loaded it, who trucked it, a photo of that load, a photo of the scale ticket. We're working now on a, a feature where, you know, we can scan a barcode that pulls up a ticket in our system and then we can scan the scale ticket associated with it. And we just pull all the data off of that. Nice. The challenge is that, you know, I think international papers may be the only mill that's actually putting a lot of data on that QR code. Most mills in the Southeast, they just have a scale ticket number which that still leaves you with the weight and the delivery yeah. date for that, you know? And so even the mills that are doing things to try to make it easier on their suppliers still don't understand enough about what their suppliers need to put that information out there for them to do something with. And the irony of it is that there's only a handful of companies that have products that are supporting suppliers, but instead of the mills going to those companies and saying, Hey, how can we connect with you guys? What kind of API connections do you need? What kind of webhooks should we be pursuing? They're just kind of talking to their suppliers or they're just talking to people within their own supply chain and aren't taking a holistic look at the entire supply chain and talking to companies like mine where, hey, what do we need to be doing? What information do you need? You know, I mean, we've tracked almost, I think $800 million in payouts today to landowners. We've tracked uh, almost a million loads of wood, you know? I mean, and yet it's it's difficult for us to have conversations with the mills when we're the most tied into the supply chain. And we, you know, have thousands of hours of time spent in administrative offices watching what they're doing. I have tens and hundreds of hours in the woods with loadermen, tens of hours with drivers. So what... what what, why do you think that is? Like you, 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 you went from MVP, right? You had Plum Creek, you talked with them. Uh, you know, the warehouser came in, that changed things great. You kind of pivoted a little bit um, based on what you just described there. You've got good product market fit, but even without that, having that PMF, I'm hearing I'm still facing an uphill battle in terms of like, maybe in some cases, even opening the door, right? Like, let me have the conversation with you so I can at least pitch you on 
what track can do for your business and maybe even elevate it from an efficiency point of view, from a profitability point of view, like basic things like a business should, that's why they exist truthfully, right? Yeah. Why, do you, why do you think that is? Do you think it's a generational thing? Do you think it's just, again, I hate to say it, this is how we've always done it. So, um, because again, you've got some footings in the U.S. Southeast. It's not like you got nobody, right? No clients, right? right. You got yep. various folks. What What do you think that is? Man, uh... <laughs> that that's the sigh, folks. Of like, oh, where do I begin? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a lot of things. Um, I think there is an age gap. You know, so usually at meetings, I mean, five years ago when we first started getting, I mean, I was always the youngest person at a meeting. Um, now it's changing a little bit in Georgia, uh, South Carolina, it's changed a lot. Um, I think there's a culture gap as well. Like I said, most people have viewed investing in their business looking a certain way. I think a lot of times when they look at software, they're looking at cost and not necessarily value. And what's the difference? Well, cost is what you pay, value is what you get. And so historically when, you know, they're using product A and they say, well, this is what I'm using today. How much do you cost? Instead of this is the value that I'm getting today. What value can I get from your system? Um, you know, people aren't used to thinking that way. They're, they're used. And I think it's probably because the margins are so small in this space and there's so much data I mean, there's so many things on a day-to-day -day basis that a business owner or a business manager is going to be putting out a fire and working in their business and not necessarily on their business. Mm -hmm. And I also think that historically mills have viewed their procurement arm as a, a net loss. You know, that's where they're spending all their money. They're not really getting anything from that. And so okay. capital putting capital investment into the supply chain doesn't necessarily make sense from a C-level perspective. And so the money hasn't been there to put people in place to investigate or connect with people like me or companies like mine in the space. Um, I think that the, the software solutions that have existed, you know, typically a lot of these deals were done 10 years ago. And so if it's like international paper uh, you know, in the, the products they're using or, um, you know, kind of Trimble products and things like that. It seems like a horse was picked 10 years ago and all of the innovation that was going to happen is up to the horse. Um, you know, because it seems like a lot of companies in this space, if like if I'm a mill or I'm a supplier and I say, hey, I'm having this problem, um, you know, can you fix it for me? the typical response seems to be ah, i mean that's just a big problem <laughs> that's an expensive problem yeah it costs a lot of money to solve that problem yeah. you know there's probably time. a lot of people listening right now like bent over giggling and laughter because they've they've heard that sigh before and know exactly what you what you mean yeah and, and, it, and it seems like there's not really and, and again i i can only speak speak from my own perspective. Um, and it, and if it sounds like I'm, you know, inaccurate or ignorant of some things, it probably is because I am, um, you know, I only know what, what I know and I only experience what I personally experience. 
but there's not really anybody out there that's looking at these problems and partnering with suppliers or mills and saying, yeah, that's a huge problem. Let's solve it. Yeah. Like, why does it, I mean, gate passes is a great one. Like gate passes in the Southeast is a cluster. And there's no reason why that should be the thing that exists, except for the fact that the solution that was sold 10 to 20 years ago is gate passes. And, you know, that system's on its last leg and changing to something different is hard and scary and a huge investment. And when it's really not, I mean, there's, you know, there's a lot of solutions and a lot of different ways to do things that we're currently implementing to address these and we do it faster and we do it cheaper and because um, we have to, right? I mean, yeah. we're completely bootstrapped. We don't have capital. I'm terrible at raising money because I'm so focused on product. You know, I'm not out in Silicon Valley. I'm not out in San Francisco. Um, I'm yeah, not a, having- It's a, a whole different job to raise. <laughs> it's a completely different job. And I'm not that guy. I'm super focused on my customers. I'm super focused on my product. I'm super focused on the problems. And my philosophy is that if we can focus on the, the biggest pain points and solve those problems, whether it be logistics with increasing backhaul and increasing transparency, um, if it's with settlements and making it easier to you know remove the burden of paperwork on offices like we've had customers that have been able to move two people out of their office and do different things in the business yep. because they were no longer spending and wasting all that time it was no longer costing them all that time to do week to week day to day activities um, and yeah. we're continuing to do that i mean we're starting to look at log costing and truck costing because right now we're producing gross profits but we want to be able to communicate to our customers net profit on yeah. a weekly basis where they don't have to task two or three people in their office with, Hey, we want to understand what our, you know, loggers, like, what are they coming out at? Uh, yeah. Or even, or even if you're just a supplier who has contract loggers understand, okay, where's my break even, where are my loggers break even and where do I need to divvy up quota so that they're healthy and even my company and the way that I do business, I'm supporting them in that way. Absolutely. And I don't think I've ever heard anybody in general talk about, okay, that we, we divvy out quota based on the break even for that company. Cause every company is different. Every company is going to have a different break even point, but typically, you know, it's, it's relationship based. It's mm -hmm. okay. You know, what have you done for me lately? I'm a hook, you know, uh, yeah. what do those relationships look like? And which is fine. And that's great. And that's how the industry is typically, and I guess historically operated, but you know, kind of those those metrics and those KPIs, I don't think have really existed because they've been hard to nail down and they've been hard to track because the systems that they've been using don't give them that information and don't make yeah. it easy to to access that information. And every piece of information that you get exists because you said, huh, what about this report? Or huh, what about this report? Rather than giving you tools and putting those reports and those visual graphics and that visual information at your fingertips so that you can say, oh, wow, like I need to be watching this. Oh, wow. Yep. Like I didn't realize, you know, uh, this crew was, you know, doing A or B or, you know, they had so much variability in their weight. So they had so much variability in their weekly production, uh, which yep. all affect your profit at the end of the day. Yeah. And even to that point, you know, sometimes it's useful just to have the data to validate 
that forestry subject matter expert because you and I have met some great companies that they can benefit by having more data, but there's also that that tradecraft, if you will, where sometimes the numbers are backing what they always knew, but they didn't really have a way to articulate that. But just having that in your hands as well is, is validation on its own. So I suspect as you're going through, um, you know, getting new customers, you're also probably seeing a pattern in terms of the ones that are good customers for you, maybe yeah. from an ideal customer profile versus some that you're kind of like, you know what, I'll talk to you in a year. But thinking of that, since this is the Digital Forester podcast, we haven't really gotten in the technology side quite yet. So, you know, you mentioned your bootstrap. Um, how big are you guys right now? 10 ish people, 15, 2, 5, in that range? Yeah, so we're, we're super flexible. Um, so typically when we're building product, we're at about 10 to 15. Yeah. When we're not building product. And when I, when I say building product, so last year we finished building an inventory product for uh, one of the largest producers of wine and whiskey barrels in the U.S. Um, and so, you know, we're tracking logs for them, whereas track forestry, nice. we're tracking loads of wood. Tracked inventory, we're tracking logs. And so we can track, you know, where that log was purchased, who purchased it, what, what, what location it got purchased, what location it got transferred to, who transferred it you know, uh, what did, how much volume did it get purchased at versus what's the actual volume in inventory? What location did it get used at? You know, on and on. Very cool. And so we, we have like super total chain of custody, total auditing power on any log in the system at any time. And so we had about 15 people on the team while we were building that product. Um, and so you, you kind know, of scale the team as you require right. to yeah, build yeah. out the products. Very, very cool. Then you don't get yeah, saddled with all those. Absolutely. Absolutely. So thinking of that, like what listen, thinking of our, uh, I, I say this in a loving way, listeners and viewers thinking of our nerds on the call. I'm a nerd. That's why I say uh, I'm just calling it as it is. It's a, uh, a term of endearment for me. They're probably dying to know, you know, your agile bootstrap, you know, what's the tech stack? Like often we hear people running Esri or open source, um, you know, you're a tech company, Definitely. So again, you've probably got multiple environments, you've got your stack, but what can you share in terms of our, our technical people on the call in terms of uh, what you're using? Obviously, there's a web component, you know, are you AWS cloud or are you on-prem or or what can you share on that uh, front? Yeah, so we're not a GIS company, so we're not, you know, we don't, Esri isn't kind of the natural first step for us. Um, so our, our tech stack, so we're obviously our code's all on GitHub repository. Um, we pushed that to Heroku, you know, so we're using Heroku to manage um, a lot of those services. And then all of it's hosted on Amazon AWS. Um, you know, we've gone, we've, we've kind of gone through the FedRAMP um, certification stuff, yes. just, you know, kind of talking to the US4 service in that regard. Um, I mean, a lot of the logs and um, Century and Circle CI and um, the redundant data backups and and all that you know we've got um, all of that stuff running in the background. Uh, we're Ruby on Rails, um, so uh, we're a Ruby Rails platform and everything's built on that. We're native iOS and Android. Our apps in the field. So um, you know we've got super talented people in that regard. You know our iOS developer. Uh, shared desk space with Surge, one of the co-founders at Uber for a long time of their 
uh, venture startup back in the day. Um, and our lead dev has applications with, you know, 60, 70, 80,000 daily active users in it. Um, you know, that's, that exists and runs today, you know, so as, as far as our, our team and our perspective and ability, I think we're super unique in that perspective. You know, we're not farming out work to India. Uh, we don't have legacy developers who cost a lot, but get very little done. Um, you know, I've, I've talked to some companies in the space that have, you know, they, they may spend a million dollars a year on product and they're not really innovating and they're not really, you know, you can't really see the needle moving with what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and yet I've had customers tell me that we, you know, move faster than anybody else out there and we're pushing better, better solutions and we're being more innovative than anybody. And we're probably doing it cheaper at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and so thinking of our, our typical audience, what you just described in your stack, there's probably maybe I'm going to guess uh, a quarter of those terms they got at the common ones, AWS, but then, you know, Ruby on Rails, you know, Heroku, other things like that. They're probably like, uh, I don't really know. So this is cool because it really gives a different view into technology when we think about um, people who are building these platforms and these, these applications, it's, it is different than GIS. Absolutely. But I'm curious to know your thoughts when you uh, like, I'm looking at your background. So, not an engineer, but, you know, the finance, you know, the business side. So how did you go about coming up with the, the, the technology understanding self-learned or did you have a CTO that you trusted to kind of help navigate that? And then the second part of the question was, do you feel that given that like technology was the barrier, like, like you, there's something missing in the IT space that would prevent you from realizing what track is today or was it more getting the industry on board with the vision that you had and and the problem that you're solving what are your what are your thoughts on that so for whatever reason all of my closest friends have always been developers <laughs> um you know so my roommate in college is now one of like the leading chrome security experts in the world. I think he got hired by Apple recently um, to to lead up some of their international global security standards. Um, when I graduated from college, you know, I squatted uh, with some friends from Georgia Tech who are all, you know, uh, amazing developers that have worked for, you know, huge startups um, and and had a lot of success. And you know, so I've always kind of been in that world. Um, but when it comes to, to software and finding a lot of these solutions, I think it's, you know, I mean, think about it from somebody in their mid thirties perspective, you know, when I wanted to use, find an email service to use, um, I didn't call up my local IT company. I just went and signed up for Gmail. Um, when I needed to start uh, tracking documents or slideshow presentations or different things like that. I didn't go again and talk to an IT department. I just started using Google's additional services that were involved in that perspective. And then on and on and on. If I'm a designer, I use Figma or I use Adobe. If I'm a photographer, uh, you know, I use Lightroom. I use all these products that are pretty easy to set up and easy to use and easy to get into it. And then I figure them out. I think in much the same way, SaaS 
has just become the norm and you know finding people that are really good at what they do you know i mean there's still forestry companies and even consulting companies that i know in our space that have their own servers on site mm-hmm. and they look at it as a security benefit but if you really did a cost benefit analysis if you really did a swot analysis on them hosting their own servers and you looked at the opportunity for like just somebody to go and throw a Molotov cocktail on it and burn it to the ground. Like how much risk are they carrying? Like what's the true risk of them doing that when I could have 25 redundant backups hosted all over the globe with actual engineers and security on site at each of those locations and have somebody that knows way more about it than me managing that service for me. Um, you know, that have, boatloads of certifications and qualifications and have checked those boxes and are, and are doing that thing. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't think it's really that big of a barrier. I don't think it's as big of a barrier as people make it out to be. Um, I think that, you know, it's, it's good to be conservative and it's good to, you know, ask questions, but the whole, you know, we've, we do it this way because we've always done it. Um, or somebody who's been doing something for 25 to 30 years a certain way, um, you know, inertia is a thing. And I think, you know, going back to one of the questions earlier is why do you think the industry is this way or what's the challenges? Well, there's a lot of inertia. You know, there's 50 years, 60 years of the industry doing it a certain way. Uh, And a lot of these companies, it's hard to move against that. and the more people that have been operating that way, the more resistance to change there is. And so, you know, I don't, I don't see a lot of challenge in that. I mean, as far as our developers and, you know, their solutions to things and the code that they're pushing, I mean, a lot of that, I, I focus on the high level, you know, I just stay in my lane yep. and I surround myself with people who are smarter than me. Um, but I also know I'm, I'm, you know, luckily we have a lot of customers that share a lot of information with us. And so we know their businesses and we know where their challenges are and we can work with them to solve a lot of the problems. And so I come at it from a business perspective and understanding, okay, this is what the loader man's going to have to do. This is what the driver's going to have to do. This is what an administrator is going to have to do. This is what the business owner, this is how he's going to, or she is going to interact in the system, or this is the C-level person, what they want to see. That's kind of my, I come at it from more of like a product owner perspective um, and push the objective and then get the feedback of what, well, we should do A, B, and C and then push back against my team and saying, okay, well, that's not a great solution because this is, again, what this person is going to be experiencing and that's not really going to get them there. Um, and so we, even internally, we like have a lot of that tension, you know, okay. about when here's what I want, or here's the, the business case. And then they're pushing back and saying, well, like, here's what, here's the easiest thing that we can do. Or like, here's what we think we should do. Or here's like the least barrier to entry thing that we can do. And I'm pushing back saying, well, you know, maybe that gets us there. Or like maybe that doesn't. And we need to be thinking more about this business case. And if that's going to move the needle for our customers, because again, at the end of the day, when you have a, an industry that is really resistant when you have an industry that's very unsophisticated and when you have an industry where that hasn't traditionally looked at what you're selling as a solution, you have to be very, very sensitive to the pain 
and you have to be yep. very intentional about solving and pushing solutions and features that cure that pain. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Well, as a bootstrap company, you and I both know, yeah, you you're capital efficient, right? Any dollar spent really has to have a big impact. But um, often people don't realize it's a it's a horse trading game sometimes where, you know, on the product side, you want this and the technical folks have 27 different ways to skin the cat. But, yep. you know, sometimes the middle ground is good or good. I always spell G with two U's, D good enough versus, um, you know, get the job done so you can iterate going forward, at least not putting you into that box or in that corner where you can't come out. But that again is, is leadership. You know, when I'm listening here, it's like you're providing that leadership for your company and setting the stage where you need to go or where you think you need to go and using the market to, to assess that. So, so super cool story. I'm, I'm curious about um, what's, what gets you excited. So again, you're very product focused on track and, and, and reacting, solving people's problems. This is great, right? Like as a technology company, it's like the ones that, that, that truthfully are doing fantastic are ones that could easily say, Hey, this is the pain point a customer has. This is what, right. uh, how I'm solving it. And this is why you should pay me because to your point earlier, most of the times when people say it's too expensive, it means um, you haven't communicated the value in a way that That's that right. person can understand and grasp around. Cause Hey, if I'm going to save you a million bucks, it doesn't matter if I cost a hundred, 200 K it's like, I'm, I'm netting you 800 K in savings. It's like, like right. when you spin it that way, anybody would say like, heck yeah, sign me up, uh, Taylor. It's like, I'm, I'm in for sure. But thinking from the technology point of view and, and the journey or that, that product roadmap, if you will, that you have in your brain or with your team looking forward, what gets you excited? I'm really curious about this because you're not a geospatial, like a lot of previous podcast folks have been, you know, satellite, you know, LIDAR, you know, GIS stuff, but you're really more technology it doesn't really matter like what it is more using general technology you mentioned SaaS again software as a service taking what's available building some but maybe gluing it together behind the scenes users don't really care but from a, a technology point of view is there something that really gets you excited is it an ai thing is it a cloud thing is it is it a geospatial thing but is there something in your brain that you're like yeah i just i just get excited or I start giggling when I think about this particular topic. It's really, I mean, honestly, it's, it's, it's the supply chain in general. You know, I, I think that when we first started after we kind of realized, Oh, curing the settle head settlement headache, isn't, you know, really what we're doing here. Um, it really became creating a new standard of transparency in the industry for security and, and what's happening. And as, as I've just become, you know, we made a lot of assumptions early on that just weren't so, you know, when we were first building our MVP, you just don't have a lot of experience in the back office with companies to know what pain they're experiencing. And with software and technology in general, it's possible to make the pain worse. It's possible to, <laughs> to promise enough. somebody a solution and you make their life worse because you didn't really understand what the problem was to begin with. And so I think for me, just as I get more, like I really like the people in this industry. Like I like them. Um, I like going to see them. I like hanging out with them. I like drinking beer with them. And when you start hearing about people's problems and the issues and you start, and you're looking at it from a perspective of like, okay, well who should be solving that problem? And you're looking up the supply chain at the people who have all the money and are kind of neglecting, you know, all these problems, 
Um, I guess it just evokes a sense of purpose or a sense of justice, so to speak. <laughs> uh, that may be like a extreme word for it, but you know, I I don't think that the industry has really had an advocate, at least in the last 20 years for solving a lot of these problems. And I think I just get really passionate when I hear people's problems and it's usually due to something upstream that nobody really cares about, but creates a problem for like every single one of my customers. And I see how easy the solution could be, but I can't find the one person upstream to help me solve that. You know, like everybody's just, you know, not really capable of doing it. Yeah. Or it's, almost, it's almost so obvious to you. You're like, if I could just get one person to buy in, I can, I can replicate this multiple times and solve so many problems for so yeah, many Yeah, because people. my pain, I mean, think about it. Like I've got, you know, over 30 customers, um, you know, we've tracked almost a million loads of wood and all of that pain, like I feel because we're trying to solve a lot of this stuff for our customers. Some of our customers are landowners, institutional landowners. Some of our customers are consultants. Some of our customers are suppliers. Some of our customers are sawmills. You know, like we've got customers across the gamut and that pain at the end of the day, who do they talk to to solve their problems? They talk to me. Yeah. And so it's not just a, you know, something that's nice to say like, oh, advocating or feeling that pain. Like it's literally my job to help them solve their problems and I feel it and I live it. And so it's, it's really frustrating and really motivating to see these things. And, and really in spite of anybody working with us, we're still, I mean, it goes back to that, that whole ticket scanning thing that we've pushed recently where you can scan the, the security tag and you can scan the scale ticket and all that information comes into the system like nobody helped us with that. Like even, you know, like we didn't get any cooperation from any mills. We didn't get any cooperation. You know, that's, that's something that we have just done. And on behalf of our customers to get more information into the system when really, if the mills would just come together and say like, Hey, here's some API documentation. Here's how you can connect and get this data. That would solve so much, but instead, you know, what we have to do, we have to get our customer, to go talk to their procurement manager who then goes to talk to their IT person who then <laughs> may tell them it's impossible to get us data or they just were having a bad day so they yeah. never get back to us or we wait a week because the person that they told me to send an email to never responds because they don't really care and they don't know me. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's like, it's insane to me. Yeah. It's 2022 and billion dollar companies out there can't provide a basic service to their customers and the people that are providing them a service because they're so disconnected from it. Yeah. Well, oh, I love, I, I'm giggling inside because it's, uh, we, we've had it where it's send the email and then the other side as well. If I wait long enough and don't reply, he'll, he or she will go away that tactic type of thing. Absolutely frustration. I'm, I, as I said, I'm chuckling inside because I, I, the stories you're telling and I've, I've lived them myself. I can definitely relate to them and I'm sure you and I will have more conversations uh, <laughs> Uh, outside of this podcast per se, uh, maybe even over a soda pop. But as we look to wind down, I, I love this. I love this conversation with you because 
it's cool. You're, you're, you're an outsider like me coming into this, this space that historically, as you said, I love it inertia. There's this thing that's happened and it's hard to kind of push no matter how hard we kind of, you know, tackle or body check, you know, tack, use your football analogy, me, my hockey analogy. It, it's hard to move this thing and, and get it off its current track. And yet at the same time, from a business point of view, it's so obvious to some right. of us from the outside that um, there's so much other opportunities for multiple points of view. So I love that yeah. story and, and, and hearing that, that journey. I always ask people on this, on this podcast. So if you were to look back to your younger self, what advice would you give yourself? Would there be anything, you know, you know such as the dad's right. I should have just gone and, and went to UGA and, and studied forestry instead of going the other route or, you know, gee whiz, if I had, had, had just done this, are there certain pro tips that you would give yourself or maybe a younger force or maybe a younger Taylor, Taylor, not in the forestry space that might happen to be listening to this. Cause believe it or not, there's people who aren't in forestry that do, um, check out this podcast but there are any pro tips you would uh, give a, a younger version of yourself or a, a young digital forester it's a tough one that's a loaded question <laughs> um you know i think in this kind of this season of life um overcoming fear is kind of a big motif i think for me and I think I would say to my younger self, and this is obviously an oversimplification, um, fear does not a good ruler make. And oftentimes the things that seem overwhelming or the, the, the things that seem scary, just because they make you afraid doesn't mean you shouldn't pursue them. Doesn't mean they're not good things because oftentimes the obstacle is the way. You know, oftentimes you feel fear when it's something you should do, uh, or you feel like, oh, that's a big thing. I can never do that. Or that's too big of a task to tackle, or that's too big of a problem. Well, that means that you should do it. And so, yeah, I think I would just encourage my younger self to engage with fear more, um, yeah. and feel it and not have it be a reason not to do anything sure 100 percent, and definitely in in your journey your story with track right i can sense you know uh uh not maybe a risk taker as opposed to comfortable with risk and uncertainty because otherwise you wouldn't be doing what you're doing and realizing <laughs> yeah. the success right and uh and that resonates but 100 percent on that front you know when i talk with younger people it's often the simplest way is that thing you're worried the most on just kind of turn your your uh, spotlight on that and just double down you know don't take the easy path right you got to put work in to, to reap the rewards and and benefits so yep. so very cool chatting with you i feel like i'm just scratching the surface of of the journey definitely want to keep in touch and learn and, and and you and i will chat more uh for sure into the the future um i guess final question to you is well maybe two final questions the first one is what's the grand plan for track? Are we going for world domination? Um, what, what does that world look like for you? Or is it still, I've got enough problems, Kev, in my space that, that I haven't even solved yet that I, that I'm working hard on. I got to get those nailed down before I, I look at something else. What's the, what's the medium term plan for track? Yeah. So, I mean, we have our load tracking system 
you know, if, if you have origin and you have location and you're tracking a load that has some kind of product on it that you need to track production and that kind of stuff, um, you know, we have that product. And then we actually built our log tracking system to be able to track. We're basically looking at items on loads, right? So if there's a commodity that uh, is on a load and you need to identify how many of that is on a load. And if you need to age it out in inventory and track how old it is, because maybe at a certain point it could lose value because it gets too old sitting outside inventory. Um, you know, we kind of build that system for that. And what's ironic is that we have that whole system and we haven't even been able to push it or sell it yet just cause we don't have the bandwidth, you know, like we're still just growing and we're still pushing. But, um, I mean, our, our goal I think is pretty simple. We're just looking at the biggest problems and trying to solve them, you know, so that comes down to logistics there's still not a good logistic solution for uh, companies in our industry. Uh, most typically they're long haul and we need more of a last mile solution. And so we're gonna be integrating with Sam Sarah um, and, and kind of building some dispatch things on our side to solve that. Uh, we're gonna be looking at log costing and truck costing to start generating some net, net profit for our companies on a passive level. Um, and it could be as big of a bullseye or as small of a bullseye as, as they want. Um, you know, and then, I mean, that's our, our goal is to really look at those biggest problems and solve them, um, awesome. you know, and, and really kind of move up and, and be more vertical in our solutions so that we can, you know, solve those bigger problems. Yeah. Very, very cool. I know, I know you just mentioning that there's probably a lot of listeners going like, Hey, I need to learn more. So on that note, Taylor, for folks who want to get a hold of you, uh, again, you're 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 a younger guy. It's like, is it Facebook, social, TikTok, LinkedIn, like good email or website? What's the best way for folks who want to to get a hold of you to learn more about track software and and all its capabilities? Yeah, so our website is uh, gettrack.com, G-E-T-T-R-A-C-T.com. And my email is taylor at gettrack.com. So I encourage you to just go on the website, check it out. Uh, browse around. We've got a active blog. We've got a YouTube channel with all our stuff on there. Um, and email is, is the best way to reach me. So just shoot me an email, taylor at gettrack.com. Awesome. Awesome, man. Well, hey, I appreciate you carving out some time to, to talk to this guy. Loved meeting you. Loved hearing your story. Uh, as I said, looking forward to chatting offline with you a bit more and and trading our, 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 our stories. We probably yeah, can't say on the air. Right. So, <laughs> so definitely appreciate the time and it was great talking to you, wishing yeah, you all the best guys. of luck and we'll, we'll talk soon. Talk to you soon, man. See ya. Cheers. Bye-bye.